All right, for the rest of us, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter 4, uh, starting in verse 7, 7 through 19 today. Um, so remember last week we talked about, um, kind of continued on in suffering, and we'll kind of end that kind of theme today in Peter's letter on, uh, on suffering. And so last week we looked at that when suffering comes, uh, we can kind of stand up to suffering because one, we're not alone. So remember last week was we suffer because Christ suffered. Um, that we're part of him, and so it shouldn't be a surprise that we, we go through trials and we suffer because that's what Christ did. So we're not alone in that. He's not distant in that suffering. Um, and then also, as we look at this, the other thing Peter pointed out last week is that as we go through suffering, the way we respond to that has the opportunity to share the gospel with others. And so when we lose hope, uh, when we go through suffering and, uh, and it's all is lost, nothing matters, you know, it doesn't really point people to Jesus. When we go through suffering and we have hope and we have joy in the midst of suffering, then a lost and dying world looks at us and goes, okay, why are you still okay? You know, everything says you should be distraught right now. You should be beside yourselves. You should, you should give up. Why are you still, why do you have joy in this moment? Um, and it's because we have a hope that isn't, uh, isn't dependent on our physical well-being, isn't dependent on how much fun we have isn't dependent on how much money or how we feel secure, but we have a hope and a joy that is dependent on Jesus who's promised to never leave us and never forsake us. So that sometimes when we go through suffering, it's an opportunity that when we do that well for us to share the gospel with the world around us. And so we're going to kind of continue that thought today. And the interesting thing today, what we're going to see in uh, 7 through 19 is it, it's going to kind of take a detour. So uh, it reminds me a little bit of like First uh, Corinthians and Paul's letters where he's talking about the spiritual gifts and he talks about spiritual gifts and he like stops talking about spiritual gifts to talk about love and then he finishes his conversation on spiritual gifts. It's like he's talking about something and he's like, man, but love is more important. So we're going to, okay, okay, now that we've gotten love, we can talk about spiritual gifts. So the same thing here, we're talking about suffering. Peter's going to take a break to talk about character talk about love and then he's going to return to talking about suffering so kind of in the smack dab in the middle of this conversation of because we are elect exiles we're going to suffer we're going to be in a world that's not our home surrounded by people that don't believe what we believe and they're not going to like us for it in the middle of that peter stops and goes oh by the way this character thing is so important as you go through this and then he finishes his conversation on suffering so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to read 7 through 19, um, but we're going to look at the end first. We're going to look at the suffering and then kind of pull back and look at his aside uh, and character and why that matters. Um, so verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory 
and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You are, you are insulted for the name of Christ. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin on the household of God. And it begins with us. What will, the, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is sacredly saved, or scarcely saved, uh, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And so, once again, if we kind of pull back and look at this as a whole, we see the same theme that we talked about last week. So the same thing, you are believers in a world that doesn't accept you. You're going to walk through suffering. But make sure as you walk through suffering, you do it for following God, not because of your own foolish decisions. And at the end, he ties it all up again with this idea, but as you suffer, we still have hope. So therefore, those who suffer according to God's will will entrust their souls uh, to a faithful creator while doing good. So in other words, you may go through suffering, but we do that in faith. We do that in faith that God still has us, that he is still over us, that he is still in control, he's still with us. And so essentially you have, you have a pastor kind of telling his flock, telling those under him who he loves, like, man, I know it's hard right now. I know it's difficult. I know it doesn't make sense. Uh, I know you're hurting right now, but don't lose that focus that Jesus is with you. Don't lose that hope that he's with you. And so that, as we look through this, that's still that, that core theme and narrative that Peter is, is speaking to the church. It's hard right now. You don't feel you like you fit along. That's okay. You're not supposed to. Um, but don't forget that Jesus is still with you. Don't, don't bind to the lie that he's abandoned you into this suffering. And so as we look at this, um, it's interesting that we look at starting in verse 12. Uh, I, I love this. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. So this idea that we rejoice in trials, all right, not get angry in trials, is something that's not just in Peter's writing, but we see in Paul and James, kind of all throughout Scripture, the idea that God allows trials to come and test us. So does that mean God is scheming up evil against us? And that's not what's happening at all. Could God protect us from ever having to go through anything difficult ever? Yes, God is all-powerful, but he allows us to go through trials. He allows us to live with the consequences of a, a broken and dying world um, because, once again, uh, if you never put your faith to action, you don't know where your faith actually is. So it's the example we use all the time. You had faith in your chair, so you sat down. But if you walked around and never sat in your chair and told me you had faith in it, I, I would think you were being goofy. Like, I, they're joking because they're... They're obviously not sitting down. So a lot of times we don't have an opportunity to test our faith 
until that trial comes. In other words, I don't know what I, how much I really believe in God until I have a reason not to believe in God. That, that's when I find out where I'm at in my walk. Um, and so <laughs> a lot of times we see that in, in young children. Right? When you're raising young children, a lot of times they don't realize they need help until they mess something up. So if you have a really independent child, they're going to try without asking you. You know, they're going to get that milk out and try to pour their own milk in their cereal bowl and pour milk everywhere. And once that happens, it's like, oh, that was probably too heavy. I probably should have asked for mom or dad's help. But sometimes it takes that making a mess before we go, oh, man. So it's the same with us. Sometimes it takes us walking into the fire, making a mess, going, oh, this is painful before we go, man, I need something else. I need something beyond just me. Um, I mean, we're kind of... Uh, as a culture, we're really uh, fascinated right now with this with kind of the self-help, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, the powers in you, you're, you're great in and of yourself without anything, you know, you just need to dig deep and find that inner, inner strength. Um, and that's, in a way that's a great sentiment, I want my kids to be resilient. I, I want them to be independent. I want them to be forward thinkers. Um, but the problem is when we tell a generation that you've got this, it's all on you, and they fail, and we're not there to help them up, it creates this false narrative where they fail, they feel completely alone. And so the gospel comes in and says, you may fail, right? but that doesn't mean that you're alone. Jesus is here to help you. So it's not that we have the strength within us that we can do everything under our own power. You know, It's that we understand that we're going to falter, we're going to fail, we're going to stumble, but we have Jesus within us who's going to stand with us and help us. Um, and so we're not alone. So those fiery trials can actually produce joy because it shows us, it proves us that Christ is still faithful, that he's with us. So we rejoice in shuff, uh, a few things that kind of the narrative here, kind of 12 through, through 19, as we look at suffering, we see the kind of the same things we looked at last week. That we can rejoice in suffering because one Christ is with us. Um, so it says, 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So remember last week we used the verse Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. All right, so if it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me, that means I've been buried with him in his death and I've been raised in his resurrection. So I take part in his suffering, and then I rejoice in his resurrection. I, I, take, I take joy, uh, I take pleasure in the glory of his resurrection. So that's what Peter's saying here, is that we rejoice in suffering because we share it with Christ. Because it brings us closer in that connection. Um, that we're glad when God's glory will eventually be revealed. So that's that other similar theme that we see constantly throughout Peter is it may look like we're losing now, but we need to have faith because we know the truth that God has already won. All right, so remember, we are elect exiles. That means God has chosen us, and he's bought us back from the enemy, but we're still in enemy territory. And so we know the reality that we've already been purchased, ransomed back to Jesus, even though we still live in a fallen and broken world, we live with the reality of the promise that God is going to make all things new. Has he made all things new yet? No, we still live in that fallen and broken world, but we know that is the truth that will eventually come to pass. Um, 
And then finally, uh, it's a reminder that the Spirit of God rests with us, so you're not alone. Uh, 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. All right, so it deals a lot with this idea of shame. The idea that the, uh, the Greeks, the Gentiles, the Romans at the time were going to see the Christians um, and their suffering and they looked foolish for, for following Jesus and, and losing their homes, losing their jobs, losing their lives. And the idea that they would be insulted for it. All right, they would be less than for it. And Peter's coming along and saying, even if, you, even if you're, those insults are being hurled at you, they're reminders that you are connected with Jesus. Um, so he's kind of doing that turn of phrase where we're going to take what's bad and we're going to remind ourselves that that very act that seems negative right now is what connects us to Jesus. So that even if we go through that suffering, we're connected with Jesus. And so we know Scripture says the same thing, that, um, that Jesus would be the cornerstone. In other words, so for us, Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the stone that makes everything right, that links everything together, that creates our strong foundation, um, that he's that plumb line that shows us what truth is. But at the same time, for those that don't believe in Jesus, he's actually the stumbling block or a rock of offense. And so same thing for us. So for us, Jesus brings truth. He brings comfort. comfort and from those that don't believe in Jesus, we get insults because of our faith in Jesus. And so that should point us to this love of Jesus. But all in all, remember the point of suffering is that it brings us closer to Jesus and we're to remind each other in it all right, that God doesn't leave us or forsake us. And I think that's one of the big things of having a Christian community, having a church family, having brothers and sisters in Christ to walk with you is because it is easy to forget. Um, it is easy to get lost in the world. It is easy to get discouraged. Uh, I think a lot of times we look at Scripture and Scripture says, don't be discouraged, you know, and we take that to mean, well, like a Scripture should never, you know, Christians should never be discouraged, but yet we have the gospel writers, you know, the apostles having to tell the church, don't be discouraged. Well, if they're having to tell the church that, then there's, the church was discouraged. That's why they're having to say that. So we shouldn't take this attitude of like, oh, I'm never going to doubt. You know, I'm never going to be discouraged. So sometimes we do a disservice by constantly harping on people for their lack of faith and not encouraging them with love. Um, generally, if someone's in church, they don't need to be reminded that they have a lack of faith. You know, they're, they're not a lost person. They're in the family of God. They need to be encouraged as a brother, a sister, a son, or a daughter. Um, and so as we do that, as we remind each other that we can rejoice in sufferings, it makes us not only stronger as individual Christians when I have someone encourage me, but it makes us stronger as a unit, as a body, as a group. And so what about that aside? Because that's, that's really, uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, we could have copied last week's sermon and pasted it into 12 through 19 because it, he went over the exact same points again all right so it's it's kind of what what we tend to do in preaching so i'm going to tell you what i'm going to tell you then i'm going to tell you and then i'm going to tell you what i told you um, that was when dad taught me how to write a sermon that was the opening the sermon and the closing was well in the opening you tell them what you're going to tell them and the main part of it you tell them and in the end you tell them what you told them and that's how you write a sermon um, uh, <laughs> and, it, and it basically holds true um and so as we look at this, that's, that's basically what he does here at the end. He's kind of summing up what he's been talking about. 
But for me, it's really interesting that he stops talking about suffering to say this, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So let's kind of break this down bit by bit. So one, the end of all things is at hand. So he's kind of framing what's going on. And so when you're in difficult, high-stress situations... Um, you don't tend to be more loving. You don't tend to be more open and caring. You tend to become more guarded, uh, grouchy, cutting, biting. You know, you know, like I say, you don't want to corner a wounded animal because they tend to lash out. They tend to go after you. And, and humans are really no different that when we're, we're hurting, it's easy for us to hurt other people. And so I think it's important that Peter points this out, that as Christians go through suffering, they don't become callous, right? They don't become cynical. They don't become negative people. And I feel like a lot of issues that we have in the church in America are because we've become fearful, negative people. Uh, we're much more focused on what we're against and how horrible things are than on the love of Christ. And really, when I look at the world around us, it doesn't hold a candle to ancient Rome of where the Christians were at, what they were having to deal with, Yet, we see those that walked with Jesus, those that, that wrote most of the New Testament, they're not focused on the negative, they're focused on the love and joy of God. I, I love the fact that as we look through the letters of Paul, all right, in all of his letters, yes, he's addressing problems in the church, he's addressing problems from outside of the church, but he always spends like the first half of his letter talking about the gospel. He spends half his time reminding the church that God loves them, that he sent Jesus to die for them, and that Jesus is going to be with them before he ever gets into any problems. And they're always addressing the problems inside the church. I never really hear them talk about problems outside the church. We don't hear Paul talk about the Roman government and how messed up it is and, you know, the Greeks and what they're doing. He speaks to the church and go, this is how you're treating one another. Stop that. Don't do that. Remember, Christ died for you. He loves you. And so I just love that focus on the life of Christ, the life that we have, the new life that we have. All right? And so as we're walking through this, we need to be reminded of that because the end of all things is at hand. This is a, a weighty and difficult time. So kind of everything that he says, keep that in mind. The end of all things is at hand, therefore, act this way. You're going to walk through suffering, therefore act this way. All right, you're going to be prone to, to isolate and separate yourself from others, therefore act this way. You're going to be tempted to look out for yourself more than anyone else, therefore act this way. Um, so therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Um, so as we kind of look in the Greek... Um, I'm going to read it from the NSB because I think it says it a little more true to what the, the verse actually says. It says, the end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and of sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. 
In other words, in other words, don't freak out. Don't panic. Calm down. Peter's going like, for the sake of your prayers, you calm down just a little bit. And you just settle down, not freak out so much. And so you can, in your right mind, so that's basically what he's saying, in your right mind, come to God. All right? Don't allow your mind to be so twisted by the world, to be panicked by the world. He's saying, have, a, have control of yourself. Have control of yourself. So a lot of times we think of, uh, you know, the ESV here translated to self-control. And so we think of things like, well, I need to, you know, not get angry. I need to work out. I need to eat better. And for those, those are self-control issues. And that's not really what Peter's talking about here. He's talking all about the mind. He's talking all about the mind. So he's saying that you need to be sober um, and not in, in a sense of not be drunk, but not be out of your mind, but be in your mind. And so um, I think it's important for us to understand that we see several times in Scripture the idea of, you know, reason being okay. Um, reasoning with God, wrestling with God, questioning with God, coming to God with, with that reasonable mind is encouraged and okay. That we don't have to just be in our feels all the time. We don't have to operate just out of emotion all the time. And in fact, the authors of Scripture constantly point us back to not operating just out of emotion, all right, but being controlled, coming into our right mind, and coming to God with our, our request. And so a lot of times um, our default, if, we're, if we just run by emotion, right? so if the service is really hyped and I'm hyped, if it's really dull, then I'm dull. Man, if, so many times we're just responding to the stimulus around us. All right? And, and that's, a, that's a faith issue. That's a how, how do we understand and trust God issue. And so if I have to be in just the right service, in just the right music, in just the right atmosphere for me to feel the presence of God, um, I've trained myself to respond to stimuli rather than to respond to God. Because we know from Scripture, God is always with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. So when I get the Holy Ghost goosebumps, when I'm really pumped, there's no difference from that and me being alone by myself in a car or in this room right now. And we have a much more mellow style. All right? So a lot of times we train ourselves to respond to stimulus. So if I equate a really hyped up service with the presence of God, the problem is I'm always looking for more presence, as we should. We should always want more of God. But then I have to keep amping up that hype. And it has to get more amped up and more amped up and more amped up and more amped up for me to feel more of God. And really I've traded the presence of God for a feeling, for an emotion. And so we need to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. So do I have the faith? that no matter how I feel, God is still for me, God is still with me, that God hears my prayers? Or do I need to have my prayers constantly answered right then and there to believe that God is really for me? Um, and so sometimes we, we get off into that where we feel like, man, I need to feel God's presence now to believe he hears my prayers. I need an answer now to believe God hears my prayers. All right, but we need to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of what? For the sake of our prayers. 
all right, to stay focused on God. Verse 8, above all, loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Man, this is so, so important when we understand how to live in adversity in the context of community. All right, so the idea that um, we are not going to be perfect, we are going to make mistakes, all right, we are going to get stressed out, uh, we're going to snap, we're going to struggle at times because we live in a lost and dying and broken world. And so the idea is that if I associate my church family with, I can't be honest, all right, they're going to come after me. I can't be vulnerable, they're going to come after me. I've got to be okay all the time. Right, in the system that God has set up to help us, we actually put up barriers with. And so we're never honest and vulnerable with anybody. That creates this false self, this false presence. In other words, I can't really let people know who I am. I've got to present this version of me in front of people. And it just kind of hollows this out. It takes what is meant to be beautiful in community and actually makes it the thing that reminds us that we're alone. Um, and so <laughs> I, I just love it so all, above all. So above everything else, keep loving one another earnestly. All right? So not earnestly means not because we have to, because we genuinely have a desire and angst and want to. So when I say I earnestly desire something, I earnestly want to do something, I'm earnestly loving someone, that means... Uh, I'm not doing it out of guilt. I'm not doing so I can get something back. So I don't love you because I want you to be nice to me. So a lot of times we take the golden rule, which is a great rule, and we make it the king. So do unto others as you'd want them to do unto you. Now the problem is, where that breaks down, is when others don't do unto you, we tend to go, well then what's the, what's the point? And so we find out that, okay, I'm loving someone not from earnest, not because God calls me to love, all right? not because I want to love, but because I expect something in return. Um, nothing breaks relationship faster than expectations. And especially if we don't communicate those expectations. Now, I'm not saying that we should stay in abusive situations or abusive relationships. We need to be able to communicate effective boundaries with one another. All right, you're, you're hurting me, you're crossing a boundary, this is not okay. All right, is not the same as um, I'm only nice to you if you're nice to me. And so we have to understand that earnestly means we have a genuine heart and desire for the good of other people. And so at the very start of this, this idea of keep loving one another earnestly, um, I don't think we can really effectively do outside of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are so programmed uh, in our being to take care of ourselves. Um, that it really is a struggle to constantly remind yourself that what, what Paul says, that we should treat others as more important than, than we treat ourselves. I should look to the needs of the body and hold you in higher regard than I hold myself. And so that takes uh, the Holy Spirit to help us. But I just love that. Uh, love one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. All right, so we're going to have sins within the church. That's just a, that's a given because we are people. So how do we keep going in a system that is supposed to be for God, about God, if we know I'm going to mess up and hurt you, you're going to mess up and hurt me? 
Well, the reason we can keep going is because of love. Right? We may have disagreements. We may see scripture differently. We may see how to, how to do things differently, relationships differently. But the thing that keeps us going is love. Because love can overcome any of those disagreements. Love can overcome any of those failings on either party. So we keep focusing on love. Uh, nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Man, Peter is so um, how heavy-handed almost. Like so, It's so important what he says after the thing he says. So he says, show love earnestly. You know, so a lot of times we're like, show love of like, man, well, like, you know, I gave people food, I gave them clothes, I showed them love, but did you do it from an earnest heart? Did you really want to do it, or were you doing it just because? Um, So show hospitality. In other words, you know, be kind to one another, but without grumbling. Man, it's that second phrase that gets us. All right, so I think we generally do hospitality pretty well. It's the without grumbling. I know I struggle with that sometimes. You know, I, 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 can get, I can be a complainer. Michelle can tell you that. You know, that I genuinely, you know, I know the right thing to do, and I often do the right thing to do, but can I do it without griping about having to do it? You know, so do we show hospitality? Do we really uh, not, not just love each other, but let that love spring forth into constant action to serve? All right, so really hospitality is this idea that, uh, you know, my love is, is reaching out by serving you. So we see Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So that's something that had to be done, right? Before you walked into, if you walked around in sandals in a desert environment all day long, before you came into a house, um, and remember, uh, kind of the culture at the time is they didn't have tables and chairs like we have tables and chairs. They had low tables and pillows. And so your feet were very close to the food you ate. So coming inside and sitting down together, um, your feet being clean was pretty important if you were going to sit with a bunch of people in a small room and eat a meal together. So this was something that had to be done. But the idea is Christ's love was put into action by hospitality, right? By he was doing actions for them, serving one another. But as we serve one another, we need to do it without grumbling. Uh, Ten, as each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as, God, as good stewards of God's varied grace. So that as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So very similar to what Paul says. All of you are going to be gifted by the Holy Spirit. Are all of you going to be gifted in the same way? No. Are all of you going to have the same level of gifting? No. God's, God's grace is varied in this. Now, if you have a better ability to sing than I have a better ability to sing, does that mean God loves you more? Does that mean you've experienced more grace or forgiveness than I? No. Uh, but that's how the gifts work, is all of us have different gifts and different levels of those gifts. But the idea is none of us have everything. None of us are self-sustainable because we need each other. Forces us into community and to rely on that community. But as we use those gifts that we've received, make sure we're using them not for our own benefit so that it's not to puff me up, it's not to put me on a pedestal, it's not to make me look important, but it's to lift each other up, to build each other up. So 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies. In other words, even in the acting out of the gift you have, you do it in such a way that doesn't point to you. 
So if I were to get up here and go, the anointing on me is so strong, look at what I can do. All right, I'm using God's gift for my benefit. All right, I'm pointing the effect on me. It's not look at what God's doing in the service. It's look at what God's doing through me in this service. You know, it, it doesn't seem like a big difference, but it's a huge difference in the working out of the Holy Spirit and how we work together and do things together. So if I speak for God, I speak as one who speaks oracles of God. In other words, this isn't me. This isn't me being smart. This isn't me being a good speaker. This is from God. If I serve, it's not look at how awesome I am or how strong I am or how giving I am. It's this is serving because God is in me and God has supplied me the strength to do this in order that everything, in everything, God may be glorified through Christ, for, through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. And so as we look at this, it is so important that as we suffer well, we understand that that is tied to the community of believers in Jesus Christ. That how I treat other people is so directly tied to what I believe about God. I cannot have a high view of God. I cannot have a high view of Scripture and have a low view of other people. I cannot have a high view of God and a high view of Scripture and a low view on the importance of loving one another. And when I say loving one another, me telling people the truth is not loving one another. Me loving people is loving one another. Right? Me serving people is loving one another. Me sacrificing for people is loving one another. So often we want to love in word only. Well, I love people by telling them the truth. And I know you love people by how you act towards them. That's, that's literally how you love people. Jesus loved us not by telling us things. Jesus loved us by dying on the cross for us. Right? Jesus loved the disciples not just in teaching them. Jesus loved the disciples in walking with them daily and serving them, being there for them. All right? So in the pictures that Scripture paints of the love of Jesus, it's not, and Jesus taught the disciples. It's Jesus washed their feet. Jesus died on the cross. And so as we suffer, make sure that we're doing it in such a way that doesn't neglect the body of Christ. Right? Remember, suffers, suffering's the given in this situation. You're going to suffer. You're going to have hard times. It's not going to be easy. What's not the given in this situation is how we do it and who we do it with. So Peter's saying you're going to suffer, that's a given. But make sure as you do it, you do it with the community of Christ and you live in such a way that builds those up around you, focused on love, not focused on yourself. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, um, as we kind of close out this, uh, this section on suffering, uh, Father, I just thank you and praise you that no matter what we walk through, no matter how difficult it is, um, that you've promised that you never leave us and you never forsake us. Uh, Father, I just pray that you would uh, help me um, be better at loving, be better at serving in humility, uh, Father, at showing hospitality without grumbling to build up those around me. Father, I thank you for, uh, God, I thank you for our church. I thank you for the relationships that we have uh, that you've brought here. 
Father, I just pray that you would continue to, uh, to build us up, uh, to shape us into, into a picture of you. Uh, so Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.